start today. Let's give the uh, warning. The topics, views, and opinions discussed on this show will be polarizing, unpopular, and may trigger you, hopefully to learn more and act, but they may just make you upset. Um, Every debate, discussion, or interview will be uncensored and unbridled, and the whole point is to push the boundaries of your knowledge to discuss topics we avoid in quote-unquote polite company. Um... So again, welcome. Uh, like I said, it, it has been a interesting, busy week, and um, 
Today I'm going to talk, actually the title, I, I suppose, of the show today is uh, Racism is Dead. And um, obviously, well, I may or may not agree with that. I guess we'll, we'll find out by the end of the show today. Um, so if anybody's out there listening, uh, we do have our call-in working. The number to call in if you would like to tell me off, argue with me, agree with me, or give me your viewpoint is 315-503-8636. Again, that's 315-503-8636. So I welcome your calls. I welcome your voices. Um, love to hear from anybody who's out there listening who would like to, uh, to get into the discussion with me. Um, so... I actually learned recently that um, there is there's a report. It's called the the Kerner Commission, and the Kerner Commission, I guess, was actually started under Clinton, um, and the purpose of the, the this commission is the National Advisory Commission on Civil Disorders. Um, it was named after Governor Otto Kerner of Illinois, and I guess the the part of it, it was actually established under uh, President Lyndon B. Johnson, um, and the purpose was to investigate causes of the '67 race riots uh, in the United States and to provide recommendations. And so, in '68, uh, this commission made some findings. Um, you know, there were some suggestions that talked about. You know, making changes in influencing um, what they said, Negro settlement patterns within metropolitan areas um, so that you could, I guess, mitigate um, black majority cities, obviously providing employment for uh, people of color. The other thing was, you know, it talked about uh, well, Negro majorities all across the country and um, changes in access to birth control, uh, which could be argued, you know, population control, eugenics, and to, you know, kind of, I guess, work on getting rid of slums. And those are some of the, some of the suggestions from the Kerner Commission back in 1968. Um, about a month after that, there was <laughs> there was more rioting in the U.S. This was in February. So then, also we know that a month later, February nineteen or March nineteen sixty eight, Martin Luther King was assassinated, and that led to well, a lot of changes at the time. Um, we know that the the Black Panther Party became um, you know more radical. Um, SNCC also became more radical. So there were a lot of changes that happened then. But so 50 years later, um, this year, we had a new Kerner Commission report. And I haven't had actually the chance to read the entire report yet. But um, yeah, urban, urban migration, I suppose. And uh, racism and poverty are still uh, pretty bad in the United States, despite what some people say. And 
the new report actually calls for commitment from political leaders uh, to do some large-scale social spending, actually. Uh, and, you know, this obviously comes at a time when there is a lot of cuts to programs for low-income families and individuals in the country, while this report is saying we need to do the opposite and um, spend more on social programs. And it's called, I think the report this time was called Healing Our Divided Society. And talks about how the African-American and Hispanic middle class have, have grown. Um, and obviously, you know, we've, we've elected a black president. But since the 60s, actually, what they found is that the percentage of um, American children living in poverty has actually increased. And the income inequality in this country and the wealth gap have widened. And that segregation has actually gotten worse. It's come back. It's and it, and it's gotten. It's coming back. I guess it's it's creeping back is the way they described it into schools and neighborhoods. So, in other words, the same problems we've been dealing with, or we were dealing with in the '60s, which is poverty, income inequality, and the wealth gap and segregation, are the same problems we're dealing with now. And some of them, especially racial and ethnic inequality, have actually gotten worse. Which, if you think about it, means that if you were a black man or a person of color living in the United States in 1968, wait for it, you were better off, better off than you are in 2018. And I want that to sink in for a second because, again, the, the name of the show today is, is Racism is Dead. And it's curious to me that that's a conversation that people have, that's rhetoric that people actually use in this country when a report like this exists. And I haven't heard anybody else talking about this, this report, interestingly enough. Not a mention of it. I just This is something that was kind of stumbled upon this report. Didn't actually know it existed, so there's a lot more that I have to go looking into in it. But um, I wanted to open with that today just because you know, it, it kind of leads or lends to the point that I'm trying to make about racism in this country. There's a lot of discussion about how far we've come. There's a lot of discussion about us, you know, electing a black president, about us having an Oprah Winfrey, about us having a uh, Will Smith, and, and the fact that black people in this country now can become millionaires and billionaires, which is nothing new, actually. People like to pretend like it is new, but one of the first black millionaires in this country was a woman who happened to get a nice piece of land. Um, so, you know, black millionaires, never, it's not, you know, the exception has never proved the rule in this country, and it doesn't now. And the fact is that there is this huge racial divide that, you know, systematically, system, yeah, systematically, systemically, there is a system that is made to benefit one or specific races or classes in this country and that people of color are automatically put on the lower rung of that system and so have to work harder to get to the same place that a 
white person or person of European persuasion, I suppose, would have to do in this country. And it's difficult to understand how people can think that there is no racism in this country with these numbers, this kind of proof, I suppose, that really racism hasn't ever disappeared from America, but rather has morphed. It's something that I've been discussing a lot, studying a lot, especially this semester, you know, new Jim Crow and, and uh, you know, de facto racism and systemic racism and, and how that affects our society, how that plays out in our society in general. And it's a very interesting topic, and I won't necessarily get into a lot of the science here. Um, as you know, I don't particularly always get into the science. Sometimes I'll get really deep into the history. I'm not going to do that today. Um, but I want to definitely talk about how people address racism and racial inequality in this country. And over the weekend, um, I get into, I was just talking about this with some of my, uh, my radio cohorts. Um, I get into these Facebook discussions sometimes, and, I, and I, I, I think that these days they're kind of more fodder for this show than anything else, almost like taking a pulse of people. And since I have a wide intersection of political views and personalities and you know race, culture on my Facebook, it's often very interesting, sometimes very divided, but always very diverse viewpoints on my more controversial posts. And in addition to getting involved in these discussions sometimes, sometimes I also start the fire and walk away and watch to see what happens. This weekend, somebody posted something about the young gentleman that was shot 20 times in his own backyard. I, I, I talked about it last week. Um, and so somebody posted something about, you know, this, you know, what happened to Stephen Clark ever happening to a white person. And obviously this created a lot of response. Um, this person that posted it, by the way, happens to be a white man. Um, and this long discussion started, or, or argument. I don't know which one it was. And there was a lot of conversation about black-on-black -black crime and colorblindness and how many white people actually get shot by police officers in the United States compared to black people or people of color. And so... This really interesting conversation started, sometimes aggravating conversation started about what relativity was. And, and obviously, yes, numerically, there are more white people in this country that are shot and killed by police officers yearly. However, the percentage of the killings is somewhere around 37%, I think, of these killings are of people of color and black people. And it's concerning because overall we're black people. I say we, I happen to be a person of color, are 13% of the population. And so 
the numbers are staggering, and it's the same as the numbers on you know youth convictions in this country. When you look at the number of youth in this country that are convicted, uh, processed officially in courts, and then sent to prison, sent to prison as adults in this country, the number of black men that are sent to prison in this country, boys that are sent to prison in this country as adults, is like 58% of the entire population of youth that are sent to prisons in this country as adults, 58% of them happen to be black men, which make up, I think, 13% of all youth in the country. So those numbers are concerning, and there are people who deny that this is a thing. There are people who deny that there is any kind of systemic racism in this country and say that, well, you know, there are no laws on the books that make racism legal, right? And yes, we have gotten rid of, for the most part, um, disparate intent in our laws. That's arguable still. There are, there are those who would argue that there are some laws that are crafted knowingly at, to the detriment of people of color. And that would be an argument for the fact that we actually do have legal racism still. But for argument's sake, let's just say we do not have laws that specifically endorse racism anymore. However, there is disparate impact, which is if something is not overtly or intentionally racist, but happens to impact people in a way that is discriminatory or that is at a detriment of one specific group, then that disparate impact, when applied to a system like policing in the United States, means that there is still systemic racism. Some people, like Ben Shapiro, do not agree with this. And I'm going to play a quick clip from Ben Shapiro where he talks about this a little bit, um, among other things. So here goes. Ben. I'm offended by the language of uprising applied to people who are breaking into other black people's stores and looting them. Uh, this is not. This is a lack of values. And people who people who are destroying private property, destroying cop cars, in an uprising against what exactly? Against the black police chief, against a mostly minority police force, against the black mayor, against the black president, against the black attorney general, against the entirely uh, against a, a city council that that is nine of fifteen are black and all fifteen are elected Democrats. Uh, what is the uprising against? What is it seeking to achieve? I still don't see what exactly the the, the riots are seeking to achieve. Bottom line is, uh, this is all. It, it all could be boiled down to just act like a mensch. Act like a human being. Honestly, it's not a useful, it's not useful to riot, it's not useful to break things, it's not useful to throw rocks at people. And the idea that we're supposed to sort of correlate let's, let's your level of outrage. I'm gonna stick to the 30 seconds on yeah, this the last one. Charles? Sentence, the, the last okay. sentence, yeah. the, the idea that we're supposed to correlate your level of outrage with a certain level of justification. In other words, the more outraged you are and the more angry you are, the more justified you must be is absolute nonsense. How can you argue that racism is not a driving factor in income inequality? Because it has nothing to do with race and everything to do with culture. And when you have a culture that doesn't... And when... And when it, you know what? Explain to me. You explain to me why black kids aren't graduating high school. Explain that one to me. 
Explain to me why black kids are shooting each other in rates significantly higher than whites are shooting each other. Explain to me why 13% of the population is responsible for 50% of the murder. Explain to me why the, why the number of blacks and black kids in prison, not for innocent reasons, not for walking down the street and getting pulled into a prison, is so high. Explain, if it has nothing to do with culture, explain to me why the single motherhood rate in the black community jumped from 20% to 70% in the same course of time that the civil rights movement has made such tremendous strides. Is America more racist now than it was in 1960? And if it is, please explain to me how that happened. Anybody well, can jump in. It's, uh, it's an open mic there. But there has to be racism. You can't, be, you can't say there's no racism. Without I mean, evidence? I mean, no, 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 no. I'm just saying that uh, I don't know which animal. Uh, maybe you, 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 maybe we're talking about, about dogs or something. I'm, I'm talking about human beings. And I'm like, m human beings are most likely going to have racial prejudices. I'm just so sorry. I, I, I'm just so sorry. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't come from a, I don't come, I, I, come, no, I, come from, I come from planet Charles, Earth. Charles, I, just, I want to ask you a question. So your default, your default is that when there is no evidence, racism is the deciding factor. That is no, 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 I was not saying that. I'm just saying that, uh, that you're going to have sexist, you're going to have racist, you're going to have all this stuff. I mean, I'm just saying that... I agree it exists, but the problem that I'm seeing, and, and this is the problem with the general conversation, is that there's no solution in simply saying there's racism out there. How does that solve anything? I mean, when, when you talk about there's institutional racism, what does that mean? Show me a law that is racist in intent, and we will agree. Show me a police officer who commits a racist act like we saw in South Carolina, right, where a police officer shot a black man running away and it was obviously unjustified, and I will agree. But you need, uh, the, the, the idea that you can craft a narrative based on no racism because it just must be somewhere out there in the ether, that doesn't solve problems for anybody and creates more problems for people because now they grow up in a, in a milieu and an environment where they are told that every obstacle they face is from some shadowy, nameless, faceless group who is out to get them simply because of the color of their skin. They'll never succeed in that environment. Um. On, on the Black Lives Matter idea, I'm, I'm, I want to find the people, I, I want to find the people alongside you who think black lives don't matter. I, I'm still looking for those people, really. I mean, it, like, the, the, the implication is, of course, that for a bunch of people out there, for some reason, they're, they're fine with black people getting shot in the street for no reason. Hands up, don't shoot was based on a lie. That's problematic. The idea that there is a, a, a huge number of black young men who are being shot for no reason by police officers is not statistically true. It's just not statistically true. The fact is that according to statistical studies at John Jay College, if you are a white man in a similar confrontation with police, you have a better chance of being shot by police than if you are a young black man. More white men are shot by the police every year in the country than young black men are shot by police in the country. The idea that, that there is a spate, and, and, I can, and there's an easy proof, we know all of their names. We know all of their names. When there's a broad, there are 30 million black men in America Okay, when we know all of, President Obama said that we have a spate, it's a slow rolling crisis. Once every couple of weeks we have a case that's under dispute. So let's take his statistic. Okay, so let's, let's say it's 26. Not one is too many, and we all agree. But is it, is it really a, a slow rolling crisis with a broad trend across the nation when there are 30 million black people in the entire country and 26 people are shot under disputed circumstances and probably at least half of those, the cop is at least justified? In Michael Brown, he was justified. Okay, and, and let so me, basing let me it on falsities, you can't base a narrative on lies. We're running out of time. I want to do a follow-up to New So that was Ben Shapiro. Um, this was after the Baltimore riots. And 
a couple of things that he said that stood out to me. And Ben Shapiro, I, I'm learning, I'm learning about Ben Shapiro. Actually, he, you know, he's not somebody that was always on my radar. I've heard his name a number of times, and and I've never really paid attention to him much. But recently, a good friend of mine brought him up to me and, and said apparently that he when he first started listening to Ben Shapiro or, or, or heard Ben Shapiro, he thought he was somebody that he would like to see me have a conversation with. <laughs> and I take that as a compliment. Um, ben Shapiro is not an idiot. He, he has some views that I don't agree with, but he at least tries to back up a lot of what he's saying with facts, uh, with, with evidence, rather. Um, he tries to, to bring evidence to the table. And... A couple of things that he said here about, you know, not about systemic racism not existing and about laws not existing. And, and, and one of the first things that made me think was, you know, I was like, if I were in a debate with him, I would I would have to clarify that statement. Um, and, you know, systemic racism doesn't necessarily mean legalized racism. It can mean, which is what I think we have today, personally, this de facto racism which is more of a societal racism than a legal racism right there call it the remnants of jim crow the remnants of, of of slavery that still exists today where there are assumptions that are made by people based on history his story obviously and based on stereotypes right and 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 if you look at the world today things like the aggressive black man the image of the aggressive black man or the angry black woman or the weak asian man or or the you know even positive stereotypes like the latin lover and the you know all of these stereotypes all of these prejudices are present in not just our day-to-day interactions with, with friends and family, people we see on the streets, but these are also present in the halls of government and law enforcement. And I think at this point, there have been now multiple studies that have shown that police officers are... I think something like, uh, remember the number, but are more likely to fire their guns at a black criminal suspect than a white one. And also that if somebody has Afrocentric features, they tend to serve longer prison terms than somebody who committed the same exact crime, right? And if, you, if, if all facts are, are the same, the Afrocentric features being the only distinguishing factor, these people are more likely to serve a longer term in prison. And this is not because it's legal to send a black person to prison for longer. It's also not legal for cops to target black suspects. However, these preconceived notions, and you see tests like you know, people showing, uh, you know, I forget which one of the 
one of which one of the, the black people that was killed recently that uh, one of the police officers described as a giant or a hulk i think was the word he used even though he was literally the exact same height as this police officer and there are tests where they show pictures of, of, a, of a you know black man, an African-American man, and a white person the same size, same height, same everything else. And people will say, no, the black guy is bigger. Same size. And these kinds of prejudices, these, these preconceived notions that people have translate into their jobs, into their everyday activities. And so it's no wonder that even though it's not legal for a police officer to target people of color, that because these notions exist, people of color end up suffering at the hands of police officers more frequently per capita, let me qualify that uh, proportionally, than people of European persuasion, right? Um, and the other thing that Ben Shapiro talked about briefly was this idea of, of fatalism. And I've also had this conversation with somebody else of the idea that if we create this specter of systemic racism and the system that's opposed to you, then black people will somehow stop trying and they'll blame all of their problems on the system. And I don't know where this idea comes from. Because I don't think there was ever a point in time in the history of the human race or the existence of black people in America where an entire race of people, the entire black race, decided that because racism existed, because slavery existed, the only thing you could do is throw your hands up in the air and quit and accept it. And you will never be anybody else except for that. And I mean... Again, I, I don't know when that ever happened. You know, it, it's not like slaves were just like, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to stay here, even though I could run away. I'm just going to I'm just going to deal with this. Like they all just decided to stay. Right. Like there was no there was no beating. There was no there was no punishment. There were no killings. There were no examples made of people. That's never happened. And to this day, you know, the same example, if I flip that same argument that people tend to make in in defense of racism being dead the same argument which says that look there are black people who succeed today is the same argument i would use to say i don't think black people are giving up i think black people at this point are just frustrated all people of color at this point are just frustrated with the fact that a report can come out 58 years after martin luther king was killed 50 sorry 50 years after martin luther king was killed Right. Where people think of all the fighting, all the, the 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 deaths, all of the struggles that happened to get people to a better place in this country, to get equality established, to to better race relations, to to improve the situation of all people of color in this country. But not just all people of color, but all people in this country, period. A report comes out 50 years later that says we are actually worse off now than in 1968. And it goes ignored. And I think that's the part of it for me that is the most difficult to process, is that I happen to find this by accident, which means we're not talking about it. There is a commission that's making recommendations to our lawmakers, our politicians, uh, our leaders of our country, that's saying 
things are worse, people. We got to do something about this. And our president, our commander in chief, our leaders just brush it under the rug, just completely ignore this and instead decide that we're going to cut spending on social services. Uh, it, it just it's bewildering. But back to Ben Shapiro and this fatalism, you know, I've heard, like I said, I've heard this argument before. And I think what people of color have successfully been doing for quite some time uh, is teaching children and having discussions amongst themselves that say, listen, the system is rigged. It is against people of color. It is against anybody that is perceived as other, not just people of color. I will be having a discussion uh, relating to LGBT, LGBTQ folks uh, fairly soon. Actually, I think April 9th is um, the decided date for that. And if you're perceived as other in this country, you are automatically relegated to a status of a second-class citizen. And women suffered that. Now it's, it's people who are not gender-conforming, or who don't conform to the social constructs that we've created around the traditional family model. And there are a lot of people who suffer from intersectionality that makes things far worse for them than a heterosexual white male or a heterosexual white female in this country. And so it's difficult when I hear racism is dead. One of the other things that I hear often, which is profoundly frustrating for me and, and, and for other people of color, I won't speak for everybody, but I, I've, I've heard this multiple times, is that people say, I don't see color. And it's one of the popular defenses of people who might have racist tendencies or feelings or who have demonstrated something that is perceived as racist by somebody else and then somebody calls them out. I don't see color and I wish people would stop. In fact, I'm asking, I'm asking everybody out there never to say that phrase ever again for as long as the world exists. Unless you are blind and you have never seen color, which means you were born blind, don't actually know how that works, so let me not offend anybody else. But unless you've never actually seen color in your life, let's say that. Don't say you do not see color. Because when you walk down the street and you look at people, you see color. You see the color of their skin, you see the color of their clothing, you see the color of their eyes, you see the color of their hair. You definitely see color. And it's stupid. I'm gonna just say it, it is stupid to make the argument that you don't notice that the person you are talking to is black or Latino or Asian, East or Middle Eastern Asian, whichever, right? To say that per you don't see that person's color is also to deny a pretty important part of that person's existence. I won't say identity because people identify in different ways, but saying you don't see that also denies the fact that there are other people out there, maybe not you, but there are other people out there who use the thing that you're pretending not to see to discriminate against the very person sitting in front of you, right? It denies the experiences of these people. It denies 
the struggle of these people and it's an invalidation of those experiences saying I don't see color because it means if you don't see color right and other people don't see color then the things that the person is saying happens to them because of the color of their skin just don't happen right it doesn't exist how could it exist when people don't see color and it's like looking at somebody and saying what are you talking about there is not an elephant in the room shut up like you're just seeing things like no there's legit an elephant standing in there in this room it's right in front of you and you're pretending it doesn't exist because it makes you feel better about yourself and it's stupid don't do it right um and the other thing is people talking about their black friends and pretending like because I have a black friend or because I have a Spanish friend or an Asian friend, it means that I can't possibly be racist because I'm friends with this person. No, like I've, I've, I've got female friends. I don't like some of them either, right? Like you can, you can have a friend who is whatever and still have a prejudice that exists. Somebody made the argument and I thought it was beautifully put and actually I had to, I had to compliment this person. I won't say their name on the air, but somebody said that same exact line you know, I have a black so-and-so. I'm not racist. This person also prefaced their statement by saying, people are going to think I'm racist when I say this, which is always a bad sign. If you have to say no offense or I'm not racist, but, or I don't mean this that way, just don't. Just absolutely don't. Stop and just don't. But anyway, the person who responded to this gentleman who made the statement about his black so-and-so said very poignantly, and this person happened to be a woman, that there are plenty of men out there who are married to a woman, who have a daughter, who grew up with a mother, a sister, and they are still sexist or chauvinistic, right? They still subscribe to oppressive views of women. And knowing women, being born from a woman even, didn't change their views. Why do you think that being friends with a black person automatically excludes you from being racist or having prejudicial thoughts any more than it changes the likelihood of a man? Because mostly men, right? Pretty much mostly men are sexist towards women. It doesn't change anything. So it doesn't change anything for a racist either. And, and I also will acknowledge, you know, there are, there are different categories of racists, and, and I like to talk about the, the timid bigot, as I like to put them, right? It's a person that has these prejudicial feelings, uh, not necessarily because they intend to be discriminatory, because there's a difference between, be between being prejudiced and being discriminatory. It's important to notice the difference, right? I can have prejudicial thoughts, but not act on those thoughts and discriminate against people because of them. But I can also have prejudicial thoughts and not be aware of the fact that I am thinking in a way that is harmful to other people because I've never known anything different. In this day and age, I know it's very difficult to not know better, but I would like to believe in some good in humanity and that there are some people who have prejudicial views, preconceived notions necessarily, and don't necessarily mean to be racist or discriminatory or mean or hurtful. And to those people, 
I say, just listen, right? If somebody tells you, hey, that was racist, there's no reason to get defensive and angry about it. In fact, I think the better thing to do would be to say, hey, okay, explain to me how. I didn't realize that I was doing that. And I, th I think it's still difficult because the person might still look at you and be like, how could you not know, right? And, and it's a valid question. How could you not know? In 2018, how could you not know? However, I think you'll find a much different reaction than vitriol if your first response isn't to be defensive, but to try to understand why what you just did was unacceptable. It happens. It happens to all of us, not necessarily with isms. It happens to us every day. We make mistakes. We do things based on assumptions. It happens, right? We all do it. It's okay to admit that you did something that is wrong, even if you didn't intend to do it. And it will make the conversation a very different conversation if you realize that you're not perfect and that if somebody says something is hurtful, you should stop and listen to that person just long enough to see their viewpoint before talking and defending yourself. Because people don't just call you racist for no reason. Believe me, nobody wants people to be racist. There is no black person in this country, and I'm gonna make this general statement because I believe it is absolutely true. There is no black person in this country, there's no person of color in this country, or in any other country for that matter, that wants you to be racist. I'm pretty sure I can say that is categorically true, right? There are white people who want to be racist, or other people who want to be racist and choose to be racist, despite hearing arguments of why they shouldn't. But I don't think that any person who experiences discrimination wants you to be racist. So if a person who's experiencing discrimination tells you that was kind of racist or that was rude or insensitive even, then there's a very good chance that you said something that was rude or insensitive or racist and that person is not being a snowflake, and especially if you have to preface your sentence with, I'm not being racist, or have to say things like, I have black friends, it means that somewhere in the back of your mind, you know that the thing that you're saying is not actually okay. So stop and think. I'm all about having allies. I'm all about being allies for women, being an ally for people in the LGBTQ community. I'm all about being people being allies for people of color who are struggling. Allies are very important. Allies are people that are willing to engage in a conversation and willing to stand up for things that they believe in, even if it ne doesn't necessarily benefit them particularly. And it's important to have people like that. At the same time, I do have to say as well that sometimes allies need to shut the fuck up and listen as well, because being an ally isn't the same thing as walking in the shoes of another person. But we appreciate you supporting. Just take a seat sometimes and realize that it's not about you. It's about the people that you're supporting and you're being an ally from. It's very important uh, on both sides. For us all to be understanding of each other, that's the whole point, is for us to understand each other and um, continue the discourses that are so important. And with that, I am out of time. And nobody called, but... Um, 
I'm going to make sure we put some uh, some word out that people can call into all of the shows that happen here on WHS Radio. Feel free to call into any of the shows that are on the air at any point, even if it's just you know some music going on and you want to say something to one of the people on air. Just be like, hey, dude, what you're playing right now is awesome. Or I don't agree with you or I do. Please call in. If you are listening again, that number is 315-503-8636. I am going to sign off. This was Trigger Warning. As usual, it's been informative. And uh, thank you for listening. of the night only some will star the sky only believers in death will die and fathers must feather the wings of women for the unfeathered masses dangle ridiculous carrying crosses to phallic filled tombs the future sells silence through blood rivered wombs that ripple with riddles of cows and spoons and birds moons and earth sun centered at noon and here I stand Corchestering infinity, fetal fist of a revolution But open hands birth humility now What is the density of an egoless planet? Must my spine be aligned to sprout wings? I'm slouched in the slang sets and can't go with dang much But my orbit rainbow Saturn's rings Mystical elliptical, presto polaris Comic flame future with Saturn's and Aries And now I'm a fish called father With gills type dizzy Blowing liquid lullabies through the spine of time I'm certain of Saturn's rivers and all else is fact So baptize me in the stars and wrap me in nighttime Moon blue, pupil my sight with orange balls of light And echo my plight through the corridors of metaphor What else are we living for if not to create fiction and rhyme? My purpose is to make my soul rhyme with my mind over matter Minds create matter Rain sunsets on my roof 
as I sit on the front porch of my sanity, deciphering hand bones to Van Gogh's vanity, oiled egos, canvas and frame to be reborn, unborn, unburied, unnamed, a reflection through a blood-stained glass window of souls gone yellow around the edges, carbonated dreams and blurred daily lives, but let family be focused out of swamp blossom lotus. The muddy water, blue daughters of infinity Grand water bodied water, stop bizarre serenity As we rise with the tides towards divinity Yes, we rise with the tides towards divinity The muddy water, blue daughters of infinity Grand water bodied water, stop bizarre serenity As we rise with the tides towards divinity Yes, we rise with the tides towards divinity Yes, we rise with the tides towards divinity Now we rise with the tides towards divinity And we rise with the tides Divinity, cause we rise with the tides towards divinity.